How's everybody doing this morning? If you're wondering where the kids are right now, you don't have to look very far. I mean, you can hear all the stomping. I guarantee that's because Adam's wife is up there and Adam's down here and she's probably telling him, make sure he hears you right now. I know it. Everybody doing good today? All right, we had a we had a pretty awesome busy weekend um, here at the church. We had the the like Adam said the dinner auction on Friday. We had women's tea yesterday. We're doing baptisms today. There, there's a lot going on, and it is all really exciting stuff. Um, now today it's funny. Um, I'm I'm gonna do I'm starting a new series today, and I see a lot of new faces, lots of new faces, and um, that that gets me excited and nervous for what I'm gonna talk about today. Honestly. Um, I, I'm probably going to start something that, that people say is a little controversial, but who doesn't love a good controversy, right? I mean, we get, we get plugged into controversies on TV all the time. You know, there's a scandal here, and this person's plugged in there. Well, this topic today can be a little controversial, but um, there, there's things that the church typically does talk about way too much or doesn't talk about at all. And there are three things that really fall under this category. We have sex. I said the S word, guys. I said it from the stage. Politics and money. Today, we are going to start a series on one of these three topics. And before you get excited, it's not topic number one. Everybody calm down, okay? We're not going there today. But that leaves us with politics and money. So if you, uh, I got three passages we're going to read from. So if you bookmark your Bibles at Matthew 6, 1 Timothy 6, and Mark 12. Matthew 6, 1 Timothy 6, and Mark 12. We're going to be reading from there. But, um, so that leaves us with politics and money. And a lot of people probably would really like a series on politics. I mean, people in the political season really get, get sucked into it. And um, I'll admit it, I love Saturday Night Live during politics season, the political season. I think it's funny, just all the stuff they do. But some people really get into to politics and campaigns and voting. And there's lots of bills that have passed this year. And topics can get people really, really passionate, excited, or really, really angry. But we're not talking about politics today. Um, today, we're going to talk about money. And before you all groan, I know that's why I said I was a little nervous. I see a lot of new faces, and I know how many people are going to say, I haven't been to church in a long time, or I haven't been to this church in the first Sunday I was there. What do they want to talk about? Money, right? It's a common story. We're going to talk about money. And some of you may be cringed, um, and maybe you'll say, of course, money. But hopefully today, it's not in a way that you've heard it before. I, I want to talk about money, but but I, I want to start by saying this series will not be a certain kind of money talk, and it, it will not be this. Check this out. What I'm not going to say in this series is this, all right? Yeah, everyone look at that. This, this is not that series. This is not about give Jesus all your money, give him everything. He just wants to hold all your money because, yeah, that's, this will not be a series about that. And some other things I want to make sure you understand we will not be saying in this series. I will not say these phrases. I will not say give the church your money or else. We'll not go there in this. It's not what it's about. I will not say this. All I care about is you giving me your money. All I care about is you giving me your money. I will not say it. I will also not say this. This is not about if you don't give to us, you're a bad Christian. And I say these because some people have heard churches or people say these things before. I, this, this is not what this is about. And the last one, I'm not doing a series on money because we need your money now. This is not about that. Um, this church is generous. 
This church is extremely generous. Um, we are blessed by this church day after day, week after week. Um, the auction was another evidence of this church's and the community's generosity for what we do. Um, I love when I, when I get to see how people are giving and how people are blessing and being faithful with, with their tithes and offerings. It is so fun to be a place of a church that is so generous. So th- uh, this series is not about those things. What this is, is this is going to talk about how we need to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We need to be lovers of Jesus. We need to be lovers of his word. We need to be lovers and followers of him and reachers of his people. That is what this is all about. And and we're going to talk about it, again, not because we're in financial trouble. We're not in danger of falling apart. We're not desperate for finances. But what I want to accomplish for all of us today is a solid biblical foundation of what does the Bible talk about money? What does it say about money? What does it say about us and our relationship with money? What is, uh, what is our role with it? How, what can we do with it? How does God bless people with it? How does, how, how does money control people in some aspects? You're, you're not going to hear a lot of my personal commentary in this. I'm not going to be saying, I think you should, I think you should. What I will be saying a lot of is, the Bible says this. The Bible says this. God says this. Scripture says this. So a lot of this is going to come, I mean, all of it's going to come from Scripture and what Jesus says about resources. So does everybody understand where I'm coming from on this? I want, I want to make sure that, that we all know that so you're not just saying, oh man, preacher went up there, talked about money. I'm out. That's not what this, it's, it's, it is about money, but more than anything, it's about us following and coming in line with following God's heart. Does that make sense, everybody? All right, so, so we're going to dive in and see what his word says about it. Now, there's a popular saying. We all know this. Money talks, right? Money talks. There have been movies that use that phrase. I think there's actually a movie called Money Talks. But, but I've heard someone say it this way before. Money talks, and mine is saying bye-bye. Mine is saying bye-bye. It's gone. But we use that phrase all the time. And in the, at the root of what that phrase means is that money has power and money has influence. Money has power, money has influence. It talks a lot, and one of the things that it says is serve me, and we're going we're to dive into that today and see how it's dangerous if we serve money. Now, if, if you're a guest, you can take out your wallet, take out your purse, you can sit on it, it's fine. I'm not going to ask you for anything today. I, I'm not going to say, now that you're visiting, here's the tie box, go put everything in there. Just relax, I'm not going to ask anybody for anything other than just to listen to what Scripture has to say about it. Some people would say, why though? Why? why would a church talk about money? Why would you not just say, you know what, just have faith, it's taken care of, why even address it? Did you know that there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money? 2,000 that talk about money and possessions, real stories, parables. That's a lot. It talks a significant amount about what we should do with our stuff. And does it, does it do it because God is into the moolah? Does God want to walk around and be like, make it rain, guys, here we go. That's not the God we serve. He doesn't do it because he's into the moolah. But some people get really spiritual in church and, and just talk about spiritual things. But did you guys know the Bible doesn't just talk about spiritual things? The Bible talks about very practical things as well. It talks about the spiritual and the practical. It blends them together in a perfect way for this all-encompassing love and life with God. It realizes that once someone comes to Jesus, you need another perspective. You need, you need the spiritual perspective. What is God doing in your heart? But you also need the world perspective. What is God doing in the world? What is the world saying to you? How do we navigate our spiritual walk in the world today? The Bible and Jesus are spiritual and practical. When we, when we accept Jesus in our life, it doesn't just turn into this pie in the sky, happy living everyday life, right? 
I mean, I'd like to meet the person that that happened to because I, I want to know their story. But a lot of us know that once, once we receive Jesus, life doesn't always get easier, right? Sometimes things get a lot harder. A lot more things start getting thrown in our face. A lot more temptation and stuff starts coming in our way. So, so we've got to learn what does the Bible say about walking through this life where the world says one thing, but Scripture says the other. And the truth is, Jesus, Jesus knows us so well. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what's going to affect us. He knows what's going to, what, what our struggles are going to be, and he knows how to navigate us through this. The Bible tinkers with and gives practical understanding and application in all areas of our life. And most people think they know what God says about money. If you say, what does God say about money? And they would summarize it in one word. You guys know what that one word is? Give it. Oh, I said that's two words, sorry. But give. Let's just say Give. They would say the Bible summarizes scripture or money in, in one word, give. When churches talk about money, typically the focus is give and giving. But God talks so much more about than just giving. Giving is only one thing that we do with money. I mean, we, we can make a whole list, right? We, we earn money, we spend money, we save money. And God has a lot to say about all of those, and more importantly, about what this does to our hearts when we handle money and finances. Now, I've been here for a little, just over two years now, and I've never come up here and talked about money from the pulpit. In fact, um, we, we very seldom talk about giving, and, and often, even during announcements, we don't even mention most of the time how to give here at church. It's not something that's part of our everyday language because we do trust God with our giving. We do trust people following him. And I think, I was looking back through it, I think only maybe once a month do we actually mention giving in our announcements. And I decided I never wanted to come and talk about money if we were in a situation where it would be like, guys, we're short on our mortgage. We can't make the payment. We need to talk about who's giving and who's not. I would never do that. So I decided, you know what? Giving, giving is, is going, it's going all right. We're, we're happy with generosity and, and we're paying bills and things are moving and we're, we're doing outreach. This is a good time. Let's talk about what God says about our money. Not out of a place of desperation or need, but a place just out of, let's talk about what God's heart is. Let's talk about how God's heart works with our heart. Talk about how we can be obedient and, uh, and you be responsible with what he's called us with. And, and I realized, um, this was brought to my attention um, a little while ago, I never, this is my bad, and I'm so sorry for it, I never mentioned the harvest offering and what we actually received last year at our harvest offering. So I apologize for that, but last year at our harvest offering, we received over $7,600 in that one offering for outreach, and that was so incredible. Our two-year total for our harvest offering is over $30,000. And for those of you who aren't, aren't familiar with our harvest offering, it's the one offering, special offering that we receive on Thanksgiving or in the Thanksgiving season. None of it stays in-house. All of it goes out. It goes to the schools. It goes to, to people that are in need. It goes to people that have come across hard times. It goes to outreach, to missionaries. Um, one year we were able to fund a missionary who had thousands of dollars of medical bills. We were able to help with medical bills. Another missionary's car broke down and his kids needed eye operations. We were able to help fix their car and help with his kids' uh, with, with their eyes. So this, all this money goes out, and in two years, we've been able to raise and start distributing over $30,000. That's incredible. That speaks to the generosity of this place, and I'm so blessed to be a part of it. The gospel is the good news, right? This is the, the news that, that God has acted in Jesus to save us. He's come to our rescue. He's reconciled us to himself, redeeming us to give him new life in Christ. 
We become new creatures. The old is gone, the new has come. And this is true in every aspect. And we'll see how, you'll see how this plays into our finances. Because when Jesus came for us, he came for everything about us. Not just a portion of our lives. He came for all of our lives. For everything we have, everything we are to be with him. All I am, all I have is saved by Jesus. Everything about me is part of him now. Including my money and my stuff. It's all his, right? Here I am, it's all him, redeemed, transformed, belongs to Christ. Now, there, there's a legend. In, in scriptures, a man named Constantine, who, was, uh, who became a Christ follower, was baptized. Now, there's a legend about Constantine. This isn't in scripture. This is, um, don't know if this is true or not, but there's a legend that says that when, after he was converted, he required all of his soldiers to convert. And he took them all down, marched them down to a river for a mass baptism, but he also required them to hold their swords above the water because he said, we are all giving ourselves to Jesus, but your swords are still mine. I'm still in charge. So he had them all hold their swords above the water as they got baptized. Now, we're going to have baptisms here at the end of service today. Imagine if, uh, if we, as we're getting baptized, we saw someone say, all right, hold on, here's my wallet. Baptize me, but I'm holding this out of the water. God, you get everything except for this, you donkey. All right, God, you got my body, you got, my, you got everything, but my wallet's still mine. That, that's not really giving God everything, right? That, that's still holding on to something for you, saying this is, this is me, this is what I want. I want God to save this except for something that I think is so important, so important that I need to be in charge of it. And it's, if you think about it, you understand why we think this way about money though, Right? Money is important. I mean, we can't shy away from that. Money is important. We, we need money. And there are three main reasons, I believe, that we need money. One thing, and this is not, this is not you know, shocking information. This is just kind of the common sense with money, right? One is we need money to provide for current needs. We need it. You've got to put food on the table. You've got to put a roof over your heads. Uh, we, we talk about spending money to meet our needs, freedom from debt. You know, we, we need we need money to, to, to buy things and live. Second is, is we need money to provide for future needs. We need to plan for things, right? I mean, how, how many do, do fine financially until your car dies? That check engine light of doom comes on, right? You know that? You, you, so you've got to plan. Or the, the washer goes out. You need a new washing machine. I remember I was, this is, I know it's childish, but humor me. I was saving up for a new video game system, right? I was like, the new, the new one costs like six or $700. I'm going to save, and I'm saving, and I'm saving. And I, I finally had the money. I was like, I've got it. I'm going to go get it. Our dishwasher died. It's like, bye-bye, Xbox. <laughs> Adulting takes precedence. Here comes the dishwasher, right? But, but you know, we, we've got to save for things. We have to save for our future needs. We save about investing for our, our kids' college, for retirement. You know, we, we need money to save for our future, right? Third, we need money to provide for others' needs. We give money to other people. We help. Ephesians 4.28 talks about how we work for a higher purpose beyond ourselves. We work so that we might have something to share with those that are in need. Money is important. You can't shy away. Money is important. But one of, the most, one of the things the Bible clearly says is that money is not the most important thing. Money is important, but it's not the most important. Mark 12, starting in verse 28, says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which of these is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no commandment greater than these. So what is most important? I know we're talking about money. We said money is important, but when it comes to scripture, what is the most important thing? You've got to love God, love people. Love God, love people. Jesus makes it clear, this is what's important. You can pile up money and you can pile up things, but if we don't love God and we don't love people, we are poor in the things that matter. Really, really poor in the things that matter in life. When money talks, it says, nice and bold, one of the things money says, it says, serve me. Money says this, it says, serve me. M- money, money is neutral, right? It can be neither good nor bad. It's, it's a tool, but in another sense, money cannot be so neutral at all. Money can be dangerous. Money, money can be seductive. Money can be corruptive. Money talks, it says, serve me. It says, love me. It says, hoard me. It has power. God warns us about these things when it comes to the love of money. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. So 19 to 21 and verse 24, they say this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money talks, right? And money says that. Money says, serve me. You want me. You would serve me. I'm in charge of everything. And it can be, if we're not careful, a God that competes for our allegiance. Who are we going to serve? God or money, our finances. Jesus says we can't do both. We've got to pick one. No one can worship two gods. You can either give your ultimate alliance to to one, not two. Everyone has something that is most important at at the top of your values pyramid, right? If you were to to write out, all right, here's everything in my life that I think is the most important thing. I think everyone would have something they would say, this is the top. It is the peak. This is over everything. And I think every wife understands this, right? So, So ladies, as far as you're concerned, how many women can your man love? This is not a trick question, right? The one, right? It's one. That's it. Said and done, there is one. Guys, how many women or how many men can your woman love? One. Just one. Now, now guys, may, may, you remember maybe when, when, you, when you were dating and, and you, you maybe had a girlfriend here or a girlfriend there. Do you remember the feeling? I, I, I so remember the feeling when I first met and started dating Stephanie. I knew she was the one. I, I knew it, and she did not feel the same way about me. Don't, that's a long story, but I, I knew that about her. But remember that feeling when you got the one. I know that no one else mattered. My heart was for Stephanie. There's only room at the top for one in our lives. And when it comes to God, God says there's only room for one. There's, there's God. You can't have God and money at the top of the pyramid. You've got to pick one. You can't serve both. And often, often, sometimes when people write the word money, did you notice, and this is, this is a fun stat when you look it up, when people write the word money, do you know what they do? They capitalize the M. They capitalize the M. If you write God and money in the same sentence, only one of those should be capitalized. But people will do it because it's so important. When, when you love money, it becomes your God. It becomes to be your master in, in what you do. So what do we treasure? 
Jesus warns us that the material things here on earth, they are short-lived, they are temporary, they do not follow us into eternity. Things on earth can be destroyed, things on earth can be stolen. And rather than investing our lives in things that don't last, we need to make sure we're investing our lives in the one who does. The one who matters, the one who is all-encompassing and never goes away. Jesus advises us, invest in what is forever, store up treasures in heaven. And you know what makes it to heaven? People. We make it to heaven. We get to be with God. Our stuff doesn't. Even the dishwasher I had to pay for, that doesn't even make it to heaven, right? We make it into heaven. We get to be with God forever. So when it comes to our internal investments, man, invest in God. He's there. Invest in his people. They will be there with you. Invest in the things that will be in eternity. God and people. Jesus says, here your heart follows your treasure, not your treasure follows your heart. Your heart will follow your treasure, not vice versa. 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so here's where Paul warns a, a, a phrase, right, that many of us know. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. He says that godliness, con- that godliness with contentment is great gain. He, he redefines wealth in the scripture. He's saying this is what really makes you wealthy, right? Real wealth is godliness with contentment. Rich wealth is what you are as a person, not what you have. If you are a rich person, then, then you have a Christ-like character and you're content with what you have. By this measure, many rich people are now poor and many poor people are indeed rich because they have what God gave them. They're content with what, what God gave them. They are using their life to serve and love God and his people. In verse 7, Paul says, we, we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. And that's so true, right? You don't, you don't get to take any of the stuff with you. No U-Hauls follow the hearse to the cemetery. The stuff doesn't get buried with you, and even if it did, it doesn't go with you into eternity. Now, a columnist Ann Landers received this letter. I've told this story before, but I actually found the letter that, that it was written for. So if, you, if you've heard this before, awesome. There's a lot of visitors here who haven't, but, but I love this story. It says, Dear Ann Landers, my Aunt Mem- Emma was married to a tightwad who was a little strange. He made a good salary, but lived frugally because he invested on putting 20% of his paycheck under his mattress. He didn't trust banks. The money, he said, was going to come in handy in their old age. When Uncle Ollie was 60, he was stricken with cancer. Toward the end, he made Aunt Em promise in the presence of his brothers that she would put the money he had stashed away in his coffin so he could buy his way into heaven if he had to. They all knew he was a little odd, but this was clearly a crazy request. Aunt Em did promise, however, and assured Uncle Ollie's brothers that she was a woman of her word. She would do as she was asked. The following morning, she took the money, thousands of dollars to the bank, and deposited it. When Uncle Ollie died, she wrote a check and put it in his casket. This is a true story, and our family has laughed about it ever since. I love that, right? And, and M got it. He, can, he couldn't take it with him. It wasn't going with him. So treasure, treasure what you can take with you, and that's those two things, your relationship with God and the people you get to talk with and have relationships here, because when they come to know Jesus, we get to be with them forever, too. 
In verse eight, Paul says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, obviously, Paul hadn't heard of cars and boats and motorcycles and stereos and cameras, computers, high-def TVs, iPhones, iPads, all that stuff, because then Paul's list probably would have been a lot bigger than ours than it is in Scripture, right? It had just gone on with all the things that we love today. How many like me, though, can, can wince a bit when you read this? Personally, um, I, I, am, I am guilty of when I see the commercial for the newest video game or the newest phone or the newest piece of technology, I want it. I, I, I do. I, I love technology. I have, I have a room in my house that has the electronics I've gathered over the years. I also suffer from never throw a cord away. I have a box full of electronic cords that who knows when we'll get into them again, but I have them. Um, I, I love the tech and the, the gizmos and the gadgets, but ultimately I can cringe because uh, if I'm not careful, that can lead to a lack, of, a lack of contentment with what God has already given me. And I don't, I don't want us to get to a point where I'm now trying to serve my, my desire for stuff when it overrides my desire to serve God instead. Where does my lack of contentment lead, though, if I, if I let it get a bit ahead of me? In verse 9, Paul says this, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And it says that this, this desire to, to serve stuff, to serve money, this, this is a dangerous place. This is a trap. This leads you down a really, really bad path. And Paul says to ruin and destruction. How, how many of us have, have ever wished we were rich? You can raise your hand on that. I'll raise my hand too. I've wished it before. You, know, you, you, see, you see what people have done, what wealthy people can do. And, and I think, man, what I wouldn't do to also open up my bank account and be like, a billion dollars, yes, right? Be amazing. I don't think any of us would, would be sad if that was the case. If you open it up and see that balance, that's amazing. But this verse suggests that's a dangerous desire. It's a dangerous desire to start dreaming and, and wondering, the, the, to have that lead and fuel you to say, I want to be rich. And, and the, I believe the Bible then challenges us in this. The Bible challenges what the world, and, and even um, a Christian notion even is, of what the American dream is. Because I'm going to step on some toes right now, and I, I don't mean to step on, maybe I do mean to step on your toes, but, but I'm going to say something, and, and you can you kind of protect your wallets and purses. Again, I'm not asking for anything. But the American dream stated by society is having enough money to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Success by the world standard is measured by how much money you are making. That's what the world will say success is, and the Bible challenges this. The Bible doesn't say that is success. Our identity is not in our bank account size. Our identity is not how much money we're making. Our identity is in who Jesus says we are and how we are serving and loving him. Did Jesus come to fill every fridge with gourmet filet mignon? Did he come to fill every garage with BMWs or Ferraris, put diamonds in every ear? I know the ladies were like, yeah, but you know, did Jesus come to do that? Did Jesus come to make you wealthy or holy? Did Jesus come to make us rich or content? What was Jesus' purpose for here? Luke 18, 24 and 25 says this. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in, um, in, in Bible times, the eye of a needle was a passage that if a camel wanted to go through, they would ha- people would have to take their entire load off of the camel 
physically bend their camel down to get it through this passage into, into their area. So Jesus is saying it's easier for, it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle thing that was so hard, it couldn't do it by itself, to get to the kingdom of heaven than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It makes us stop and think about our notion of the American dream and, and, and money, right? Now, now, what I'm not saying is this. I don't want anyone, if maybe you do have a lot of money in your bank account, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Don't, don't hear me. Well, please hear me. And uh, don't, don't think that I'm saying if you are wealthy, if you have an abundance of resources, that all of a sudden you're a horrible person, you're living life wrong, shame on you. I'm not going that way at all. The Bible does not say it is wrong to have money. It is not sinful to be rich. What it's saying is the love of money is a sin. Having money is not. The love of money is sin, having money is not. The Bible is clear that God may choose to entrust you with an enormous amount of resources, an enormous amount of finances. It's not a sin to have that. It's a sin to be in love with that more than you are in love with God. So don't misunderstand when I say the Bible challenges the American dream. God's not against you when it comes to your money. I don't think God wants you to be poor and miserable and stressed out every single day either. I do know this, God is for every one of you. God is on your side. In your life, God wants the best for you. He wants you to thrive in the life he's called you to be. He has your best interests at heart. God sent Jesus to you so you could have a new abundant life and you could live life to the fullest through him. God wants you to have what you need. He wants you to learn how to manage what you have and how he entrusts you with things. There's a, a really, really good friend of mine in California. I know that um, at the church that I, used, that I worked at and came from, he was uh, one of, probably one of the wealthiest men I've ever known. But you know what was so awesome about him? What is awesome about him? He's one of the biggest givers I've ever known. I mean, that, that man runs a couple different businesses and it, the income pours in. But what he does is he's like, this ministry needs funding and he finances and funds this. People need help. He's one of the first people to say, how can I help? And it's not just write a check, be done with it. He is generally invested in helping people. And I love that, that he's even shared when he started using his resources to bless people, you know what happened to his resources? They grew. They grew. And instead of him saying, oh, so now I'm becoming wealthier, you know what he started doing? We started giving more. And it was such a cool story of how he was said, you know, I've seen that with what God is doing with me, I am able to now do for his people. And it is so cool to see God working in that way. So, so again, don't, don't think that if God is giving you resources that all of a sudden I'm saying you're a bad person. No. God gives some people an abundance of resources. And I love it when I get to, when I hear people say, and I've been able to do this and serve God's kingdom. It is so encouraging to see people using what God has given them to love people. John Wesley had advice about money. He said this, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. So he says, so go earn all you can, just don't fall in love with it. Know that it's not ours, it all belongs to Jesus in the first place. In verse 10, Paul says this, he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not the root um, of all evil, or, yeah, money is not the root of all evil, the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Perhaps the, one of the most insidious danger of loving what money can do is what it does to our faith, right? People, can be eager, people eager for money can, can wander from faith. They can lose faith. They can start getting upset because their bank account is either rising or lowering or stocks have crashed and suddenly all hope is gone because hope isn't in the one who gives hope. Hope is in the material possession instead. So we need to make sure our hope is really in Jesus and money doesn't become 
Uh, we don't have this relationship with money where it's, it becomes our idol or our God. And then it becomes the source of our unbelievable grief. Hebrews 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You know what will leave or forsake us at times? Our money. I mean, whether, whether we spent it or someone stole it or an investor did something, or just, I mean, money can do all sorts of things. It can leave us. It can be gone. In a blink of an eye, it can be gone. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite movie series of all time, I love the Rocky movies, except for Rocky V. That one's terrible. But I love, I love them. But, but speaking of Rocky V, in Rocky V, if you've seen him, he loses all of his money. All of it. I mean, one, two, three, and four. You know, one, the story of him becoming this boxer. Two, he becomes a champion. And then three and four, he's top of the world. He's famous. He's rich. He's got everything. Rocky V, he loses everything. In the blink of an eye. And it literally is one scene in the movie where he goes home and his wife is looking at the bank statement. She says, it's gone. Everything is gone. Money can do that. In the blink of an eye, you can be at the top of the world and suddenly it is gone. But I love that God says this. It says in scripture, God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never in our life are we going to get to a point where we look down and we say, God is gone. I've lost everything, including Jesus. We never get to say that. He is there. 100% of the time, 24 days a week, he is, 24 days a week, 20, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know what I'm going at? He's there. He is with you. 24-day week. What could I get done in a 24-day week? If you have the Lord, that's if we have Jesus in our hearts, we've got him. We can be content with what we have because he's already given us what matters most. He gave us himself. That matters more than anything. Money will talk. It'll say, serve me and love me. You know what? God says something about it. God says greed is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. Colossians 3, 5, it says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And what is idolatry? Simply put, it's worshiping something other than God. Anything that takes place in our lives that takes priority over God, that has become an idol. God, putting something in God's place at the top that is an idol, and we only have room for God up there. Greed simply means I want more, more, more. We're never content. We never have enough. We always want more. It is unrestrained desire for more. It's the opposite of contentment, and it's an idol. When we become greedy, we want more stuff. We want more money. We want more things. That's idolatry. Money's important, but man, money makes a lousy God. Money makes the most lousy God. It's a tool amoral, neither good or evil. For, for example, I told Stephanie I was going to do this, and she said I shouldn't. I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> if, if I had a shovel, and I was digging, I could use that shovel to bring life, right? I can plant something. I can plant a garden. I can, I can plant our, our tomatoes, and we, we love fresh tomatoes and vegetables in our house. I can, I can use that shovel to start building my, my garden and sustain life in our home, right? It's a tool that I'm doing something great with. Or I can whack somebody over the head and bury them. All right, money is like that shovel, right? It's a tool. I can use it for really, really good things, or I can use it for something really, really horrible. The tool itself is not evil. What I'm doing with it is what's going to be the good or evil thing. What matters with our money is that we're not worshiping it. It matters how we're using it. When we get greedy, when we're wanting more, when we're never content or satisfied with what we've got, we don't use it for God and help others, then we make getting rich our life's goal. We've become like idolaters, right? 
then we've made an idol out of our resources. Money can be this huge stumbling block in our walk with Jesus. It can make us stumble because we're using it the wrong way. In Matthew 19, we see this rich young ruler asking about eternal life. Jesus tells him, love God, love people, leave your wealth behind and follow me. This is a clear, this story is a very clear warning that money can keep you from God. No one can serve two masters. Jesus challenged this young man. He said, I know where your heart is. I'm going to do a heart check right now. If you want to follow me, leave your money aside and follow me. You know what the guy did? He couldn't do it. He turned around and walked away because he decided in that moment to choose his money. We don't know if he ever came back later, but we do know in that moment when he was told, hey, money or me, what do you want? He went back to his money and he didn't follow Jesus for the rest of Jesus' ministry. But it prompted Jesus to warn his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter a kingdom of God? Then it goes into that verse, it is indeed richer for, or easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This should cause us to pause. I mean, how many of us in this room may, maybe are rich, but maybe we don't consider ourselves rich, but you know, the rest of the world would consider everybody in this room pretty rich, depending on where your standpoint is and what you have. We get to enjoy a, a nice income that puts us in the top 10% of the world. 90% of the world, almost 8 billion people would say, we in this room are rich. And Jesus would say sometimes because of what we have, it's harder for us to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's because we can be seduced into loving that rich, wealthy aspect of our lives other than God. Perhaps one of the greatest, the greatest danger of loving money is that it can keep us from loving God because it says, serve me. But money isn't the only thing that talks. You know who else talks? God talks. God talks. He's clear. He's very clear. and He speaks very clearly on this. He says this. When money says, serve me, God says, love me. God says, love me. I'm going to read this passage again, Mark 12. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Most important thing, the most important thing, love God with all you've got. Love him with everything you have. This is the first of the Ten Commandments. Know God's before me. Get rid of false gods. Make sure God is everything to you. Every one of us in this room has a choice to make. What are we going to put at the top of our pyramid? What's going to be the all-encompassing, this is what we live for? Is it going to be what we have or who's given everything for us? Love God with everything. And when we love God with everything, that means all we have, it's not ours. Everything we have is his. It's all his. Our money, it's all God's stuff. We don't own it. We are stewards of what he's given us. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. God owns it all. He gives some people a lot to manage, some people different to manage, but, but it's important that we all know we all have a part to play in his story. One of the first issues we need to settle when it comes to money possessions is that he owns everything. We are his managers. We are his stewards of this stuff. So what, what if we did this? What if I had an exercise with all of you guys where I said, everybody take out your wallet, and um, I want you to pass it to the person next to you. And everyone does that. And then I say, okay, so everyone take out your wallet, give it to the person next to you. And now what I want you to do is the tithe box is in the back. Whatever's in that wallet, you can put whatever you want in the tithe box. How many of you guys would be like, okay, and then you're looking, wait, you have my, what are you putting in there, right? You, you start, you're going to start looking at what the person's going to do with your money, right? Are you going to keep an eye on them? Uh, how many would be nervous what the person next to them is going to do? 
How many of you would be nervous if you, did not, if you did not know the person next to you, right? Yeah, right? You'd be a little scared. What's that person going to do with your money? All the kids in the room are like, Dad, let's go, right? It's hard to trust somebody else with your money. It's hard. But what if we realize it's not your money? It's his. We're trusting him with what already belongs to him. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. We were bought with a high price. We belong to God. We belong to him. All we have is his. So instead of saying, God, I need more money for this, what if we said, God, what do you want me to do with your money? God, what do you want me to do with your car? God, what do you want me to do with your house that I get to live in? What do you want me to do with your stuff? And then we obey him with it. I'm gonna close with a story about Susie Orman. She wrote this in a book about called Nine Steps to Financial Freedom. She writes about a time where she was in Mexico. She said there was a merchant who was selling parrots. They weren't in cages and they didn't fly away, and she was fascinated by this. So she asked the merchants, do these birds love you just so much they have no desire to fly away? He laughed and said, no, I train them to think their perches mean safety and security. When they come to think this, they naturally wrap their claws tightly around the perch, and they don't want to release it. They keep themselves confined as if they've forgotten how to fly. In her book, she writes, suddenly a light bulb went off inside my head. We are just like those poor parrots. We have been taught to clutch our money as tightly as we can, as if our money is the perch of our safety and security, just like these parrots. We have forgotten how free we really are, with or without the perch. The more afraid we are, the tighter we hold on, and the more we trap ourselves. When she realized this, she asked the merchant how he would go about unteaching this behavior. Easy, he said. You just show them how to release their grip, and then they can fly as free as they want. Sometimes we need to learn how to release our grip, how to say, you know what, God? I've been doing this with my stuff. I've been saying this is what rules my life. And it's an easy thing to do because we know how important it is. But once we realize we can let it go and let God be in charge, we trust him with it, we see how free we are. We see the freedom he gives us to live his way. We see the freedom we have to live and give what he wants us to give. And then we get to see him working in those around us and in us as well. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team up this morning. And um, what we're going to do now, this is, uh, this is one of my favorite things we do on a Sunday morning. We're going to have baptisms. And here, here at Celebration, we believe baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision that someone has made to follow Jesus. And people are not leaving right now in protest. They're actually going to go change for baptism, okay? But what's, what we do is when we say we're going to get into the water, baptism symbolizes a number of things. First and foremost, it's our declaration to everyone around us that we have decided to follow Jesus. We are all in. We have given him our heart and our life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have the worship team playing. We're, I'm going to go change. We're going to have people get in the tank. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And it's going to be a celebration because everyone that is doing this today is declaring for all of you, in front of you, they have given their lives to Christ. He is number one. In the pyramid of what is most important, they're saying Jesus is number one. And when we go into the water, what that symbolizes is our old life is dead. Just like Jesus had died and was buried in a tomb, our old life is gone. And then Jesus came out of the tomb, and that's what we're saying. He is new. He is for us. And we come out of the water. We're saying we are new. We are with him in our decision in our life. So that's what we're going to do today. And we also have an open baptism here at church, meaning if you're sitting here today and you've declared, you've decided Jesus is my Lord, but you've never been baptized, or maybe you want to make that decision right now today, 
I have towels over here, take out, it's funny, I said, you know, holding out your wallet above, take out your wallets, take out your phones, take out everything. Get in line and get in the tank. There's nothing in scripture that says you have to wait, you have to go do something else. If you've given your life to Christ, you wanna declare it today, you wanna get baptized, come get in line. The water is warm, I promise. And we're going we're gonna to baptize. We're going to have fun. We're going to celebrate who Jesus is, what he's done, and new life in him. Amen? Would you stand with me? <sighs> Father, we thank you that today we get to celebrate. We get to, to rejoice with people who have decided they're following you. You are number one in their lives, God. I pray that, uh, that, that today as we sing, that resonates with all of us here, that you are number one. Not our stuff, not our finances, not our resources. But we don't need to serve our stuff or our money. We get the privilege of serving you. I pray, God, that we all take that, take that deep today. It's not, about, it's not about the money. It's about how we serve you with what you've given us, God. We thank you that you are in charge. I thank you that you are God and I am not, that I get to serve you first and foremost with my life and that we get the privilege of serving a God who loves us so much. We thank you, love you, and everybody said... Amen.